the folks at home. Few in number. We have about a congregation of 25 people. You guys have more than that. So it's like, and we're in a smaller building too. We heat with wood, lots of wood. But anyways, um, let's pray and then um, I'll introduce myself. Some of you might not know me. And um, then we'll look into God's word. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for who you are this day and just for the opportunity to be able to be in your house and to worship you. And Father, just to give thanks for you are the God that we can trust. And you are God alone. And we just praise you for that. For it's in the Lord's name we pray. Amen. As Jeremy was, was talking um, and said something a few minutes ago, um, I can remember my first time coming up to Interlaken. Um, I think it was like 06, 07, somewhere like that. Um, and um, I know that I think there was at least 13 people offered me a job that day. <laughs> and every time I came up, there were those same people offering me the same job. But I had been out of the ministry for a couple of years when I came up to preach. And it was this church that got me back into full-time ministry. Because from here, we went up to the Seneca community, and we were there for a couple of years before things blew up up there. And we came back and became members of this church. And it was from here that we joined Village Missions, and we were gone shortly after that. And we were sent to Maine, never having been to Maine before. And um, we are glad to be in Maine, uh, but we still think about you folks all the time. And it's like when we had the opportunity to come and to share with what God has been doing, I thought, you know what, let's go do that. And so I called Jeremy, and instead of him calling me, I called him. So, so we are so glad to be here. Um, mankind is messed up, don't you think so? What, what's bothering you in our world today? What's bothering you in your state? What's bothering you in, your, in the nation yeah, it's like, um, I, I, won't, I won't tell you how many times I lose my salvation watching the news. But man is messed up, big time. And some, some three years ago, two and a half years ago, I came to the congregation. We have 50% attendance at prayer meeting. What? 50%. Oh. We have okay. eight. Ten people? Fifty percent of twenty is, you know, that's pretty good. We even get a better percentage out of Sunday school. But the church is growing a little bit, so I guess we're off a little bit. Um, but anyways, I said to him, I would like to do the time, uh, during our Wednesday night prayer meeting, I'd like to do the book of Isaiah. There's 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah. We're going to be here for like three years. We've been there for over two, and we're only in chapter 40. And what they said to me when I approached them on that, he said, that would really be great. We would really love to go in depth in the book of Isaiah. I wrote a sermon for Galatians 5 because that's what we're preaching through the book of Galatians on Sunday morning. And so I had written the next sermon I would be preaching next week. And then we did Isaiah 40 in prayer meeting. And I said, you know, this is what people in Interlake need to hear. So I went back and I rewrote, you know, from a, 15, 20-minute Bible study into a full-fledged full sermon with more application because I just add those in on Wednesday nights. But I realize is that we need to know who we're going to trust. 
Who are you trusting? The book of Isaiah is all about trusting God. The whole book is about trusting God. Isaiah is writing to a people of Israel, the people of Judah, really, who really are, the northern nation of Israel is about ready to go into captivity. And he's speaking to them about trusting God. And then it, where, where, where when we get to chapter 39, there's a transition. Because now it is written to the same people at the same time, but as if they are still in captivity or they've just been released from captivity. And he's telling them once again to trust God. So mankind is so messed up. We get confused all the time. Think about what's happening in our world with, with, with what's happening with the political pressures and everything else. We have an idea that someone or someone is the greatest. Um, I remember hearing um, last week about the baseball. I've been watching the Cubs. I've been rooting for the Cubs. I hope the Cubs go to the World Series. I hope the Cubs win the World Series. <laughs> Only because it's been over 100 years since they have. So I've been keeping score. I got NMLB at bat on my smartphone, and I look it up every day. They play to find out where they're at. Um, they still got one of the best schedules in baseball. But I was listening to, to um, NLB, Major League Baseball Network or something like that, or maybe it was, maybe it was um, ESPN, and, and they were talking about all these records. Who is the greatest pitcher? Who is the greatest batter? And all of that. They had they talked about... Uh, um, no, Ricky uh, Mantle. What's his first name? Mickey Mantle. He has the best, I think it was him, that has the most hits in any one season or games in a row. And they said, his record will never be broken. And then Pete Rose almost broke it, but he didn't. And, and so they talked about all of this. And I'm thinking, yeah, people think they're great. And now somebody else is greater. Or they got this record or that record. What we do is we have a tendency to compare our abilities with those around us. And we have two problems with this. One, we think we ourselves think less of ourselves because you get somebody else over there and might, she, he or she might be better at doing this or that than you are, and so in your opinion, you're less of a person. That's a game that our politicians are playing all the time, by the way. The other one, the other half, the other side of that issue is that you might think you're the greatest, that you're better than everybody else. We see that going on as well. Listen to the politicians, and you know that this is where they're at. Um, think about what's happening. There are people who suggest they have all the answers. Others disagree, and they tell the person or, the, or their followers that they are insane. You are wrong because you don't have all the answers. In another matter, people are looking for happiness. And they look to drugs, they look to alcohol. They turn to immorality. They turn to marijuana. Is marijuana legal yet in, in, in New York? No. We have that opportunity. It was voted down a couple years ago in Maine. Medical marijuana is legal. Um, they're trying to get, I think it just passed in Portland that you can use marijuana anytime you want, legally. Just in, in this is in the city of Portland. They want it to go statewide and two years ago it was voted down statewide and we're praying that it gets voted down again um you're seeing the people in maine um they maniacs they they yeah i know that's why i'm saying that um they they did vote in gay marriage oh that was terrible 
Um, you've heard about the heroin epidemic in the New England states. From my understanding, it's all over. Um, it's close to home. It's in our community. We are ministering to families that have been affected by heroin or other drugs. People are seeking satisfaction. And they keep thinking that it is where you, they'll find it in something else or someone else. And they're finding that that does not bring about satisfaction. Isaiah chapter 40, beginning in verse 12 to the end of the chapter, God sets us straight. Isaiah tells us how we have to be thinking correctly. And so we can break this down, and I have like five points, but we'll go fast. Uh, the, our view of man. Oftentimes we think of ourselves in an incorrect manner. Let me read to you verses 12 through 14. Um, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? By the way, anybody do that? Who has done that? Or with his breath, his mar- with the breath of his hand, width of his hand is marked off the heavens. Have any of you ever done that? Don't really? I think there are politicians who think they have. <laughs> who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weighed the mountains on a scale, or the hills in a balance? You know the balance. Who has put the hills in the balance? Who's done that? Do you know anybody who has? Some people think they can do it. Who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him or taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him him the path of understanding? Who ever had God come to a Sunday school class and you taught God the truth of God's word? Who did that? No one. So when you're comparing the Lord to man, what man competes with the Lord God? None. And yet what we're, what we're seeing, we are looking to man in our nation for hope. Whether you're a Democrat or a Republican or an Independent, you are, the tendency is to put your hope in a man to solve our problems. I'm a member of Rotary. And it's a great way for a pastor to get to know people in the community who are unchurched. And the other day, just this week before we left, um, we were talking about some of the issues um, of what's going on in the world today. And I said to them, said to the people, it's a spiritual problem. Well, you want, you want to get a group of people quiet really quickly? It's a spiritual problem. I'm the only believer there about 20 people, and I'm sitting around a table with about eight others, and I said, it's a spiritual problem. My goodness gracious. Then they're talking about, you know, the Islam faith, and this faith, and that faith, and it's like, so you have the time to, to share the gospel and to say, all of the problems are from the heart. And man's heart is wicked. It's a spiritual problem. Man can't fix it. And yet they're going and looking for man to fix all their problems. Man is inept. He is not God. The next thing that, that Paul, that Paul, you can tell I'm looking through, preaching through um, the book of Galatians. Paul didn't say anything in this letter. Um, Isaiah did. Um, so what we find here now is, is um, God's view of the nation, our view of the nation. Because if man can't do it, then certainly a group of people, the nations can fix the world's problems. What is it everybody wants in our nation, in the world? 
Peace. Peace. So let's get the nations together and create peace. You've heard about what's happening with the European Union. They wanted to have peace. And what's happened is chaos. And it's just opened the doors for all sorts of things. And people are losing their freedom. And the, and the nations are controlling it. Notice what God says here in verses 15 through 16. Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He, his, he weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, and its animals are not, are, nor is animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. What nation in the world is able to solve the world's problems? Who can you turn to to trust to solve the problems of the world? How many of you think it's the United States of America? We used to be the greatest nation of the world. And some people say we still are. Even though we're weaker than we have ever been, I think, in my opinion, we're still not the greatest nation. Who can do it? Because we can't look for, for man. Let's go to the nations. And God says, look, look what he describes them. They're a drop in a bucket. If you have a real good bucket with all the numbers of how much you have, the fluid you have in there, and you take one eyedropper and you put one drop, how much of that line is going to be moved? None. Okay. How many of you, you guys ever have a, a Wana Grand Prix? with the race cars, the Awana Grand Prix, you know, the soapbox derbies. We do that. And, and we have the kids weigh their cars. They have to be like six ounces. I don't do the weighing, so I'm not quite sure. I asked the man that does the, lead, the, 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 um, the weighing, I said, do you remove the dust off the scales before you weigh those cars? No. How much dust do you really need to put on those scales? Because he uses the, 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 you know, not, he uses the, the electronic scales, digital scales. How much dust do you have to be there before it measures? Notice what he says here. God looks at the, the nations as dust on a scale. Insignificant. They don't do anything. They're immaterial. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. They're nothing. In fact, Lebanon was known for its trees, and he says, they're not enough. It's animals, not enough. All the nations are as nothing before the Lord. They are regarded as worthless. When you compare God to the nations, you realize the nations can do nothing. It's a spiritual problem. Yes, there are nations that compare themselves to one another, and some are greater, some are weaker. But when people put their trust in the nations, even if it's the United States, guess what? We might be powerful, but we are not without our weaknesses. And our nation is not able to do what God is able to do. Our nation is not to be trusted no nation is to be trusted to fix the problems of the world. Who are we trusting? Are we trusting man? Or are we trusting 
our nation, and if we are, we're putting our trust in the wrong place. So what else can we trust? If I can't trust an individual, and now I can't trust the nations, what else can I trust? No, I'm going to trust the idols. I'm going to trust my other gods. Notice what he says now in verses 18 through 20. To whom then will you compare God? What image will you compare him to? As for an idol, a craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and the fashion, fashion silver chains for it. A man too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot, and he looks for a skilled craftsman and set up an idol that will not topple. So we don't want to trust God. We can't trust man. We can't trust the nations. So let's trust our idols. What idols does man trust today? Retirement accounts? Money? Jobs? We all know of idols. Alcohol can become an idol. Power, prestige, influence can become idols. And we put our hope in all of those. Idols, God says, are worthless. Remember, this is written to a people in Isaiah's day that was caught up with false idolatry. They were worshiping. They were going out and carving a wooden statue, having somebody else cover it with gold and then worshiping it. Notice something about the idols. It took three people to build an idol. The person that wanted it, the craftsman that, that cut it out, and then the goldsmith that covered it. Three people, at least three people, to create, a, to create an idol, to worship. Why? It's worthless. And so God is saying here, don't trust your idols either. Are you trusting idols? Are you putting your hope in Social Security? I hope not. There's only one place to put your hope, and that is in God. So our view of idols can also become wrong. Look now at verses 21 through 26. How do you view God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the very beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? It goes all the way back to creation. He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. That's God sitting up. By the way, there has never been in the Bible a flat earth society because God knew from the very beginning. Isaiah knew from the very beginning that the earth was a circle. He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and his people are like grasshoppers. Insignificant. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and he spreads them out like a tent to live in. Some people worship the stars. God created the stars. He brings princesses to naught and he reduces the rulers of the world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the earth ground than he blows on them, they, they wither, and a whirlwind weeps and blows them away like chaff. Who can you compare me to? God speaks, by the way. To whom will you compare me? To a man? No. To a nation? No. To an idol? No. Even to the stars? No. Who is my equal? There is none. And then God says, lift your eyes and look to the heavens. 
Who created all of these? Who created the stars and the heavens above? I did, God says. He who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls them each by name. How many of the stars can you name? Do you even know how many there are? By the way, when, when Isaiah uses this, this term of speech, as God naming the stars, in that culture, it was to have power over that which you could name. You know, we do it too, you know. When you name your children, who's boss? You or your child? Who decides the name of your children? You do. Kids ought to be listening to this. Parents are the ones who have authority over their children, as God has the authority and the power over his stars. This whole idea is to teach us that our trust has to be in God himself. And then he goes on in verse 28. Um, well, verse 27. Let's look at that. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my cause is disregarded by God. How many of you think that God has forgotten you? When we are in our world today and we're looking at what's happening and we're seeing the church being persecuted like it's never been be done before in the United States of America and we look to see the world turning its back on God and our churches are diminishing more and more so, even the churches with good preaching are finding it very difficult to have an impact in the world. And we begin to wonder, God, have you turned your back on me? Are you disregarding me? What is the answer? Verse 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. God does not change. God is the same. We need to understand that when we get to that point and we look around the world and we weep for our nation, I weep for our nation. I weep for the people in the town of Bethel, Maine. I weep for my neighbors, the fellow that lives right next door to us. We were in town, we, were, we moved in, I think we got there on a Sunday. Monday he came over and I call him a he, his name is Gail. And he says, oh, before you, before you, um, let me, I might as well tell you the truth before, because you'll hear it sooner or later. He says, but I had a sex change operation. He goes by a, being a female, but he was born a male. In fact, he said that he had been a, a worship leader down in a Baptist church in, in Texas. That's right next door to us. I talked with him. I call him by the pronoun He. I don't lie. And I witnessed to him, and I talked to the people in the church. I said, if, if I call him Gail, because, I mean, Gail, yeah, that works. Um, if I were to invite Gail to church, how would we respond? We'd welcome him. But he'd have to acknowledge that what he did was sin. And he would have to confess it before the Lord. He'd be right with God. He is now preaching at a church that is not a gospel-preaching church, not far from us. I shake my head and say, how far has the gospel or the people 
who are supposed to be preaching the gospel have fallen. How stupid can people get to take the God who created all things, who He alone is worthy of our trust, and exchange it for anything else? That's where our nation is at. That is what we're seeing in our world today. So what happens? Who are we going to trust but God? Look again in verse 27 through 28, or through 31, as we look to see what our relationship is with the Lord our God. What is our view of our relationship with God? When he says in, in, in 27... Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the earth of heaven, or the, the, ends of, the creator of the ends of the earth? He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. How many of you are tired? Where are you going to get your strength? God. People know the next few verses. They just never knew the context that you find it in. He increases the power of the weak. Who's weak? Yeah, I'm weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. Not they say anything about the old people like me. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord, those who put their trust in God, will renew their strength. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. What is this all about? The question is, is when we come to consider the, when we think about the greatness of God, we might wonder about ourselves. It's certainly on the minds of God's people of Israel. God has not lost, God has not lost the stars. He knows where they are, but what about us? Are we hidden from God? Does God no longer care about us? That might be the question on your hearts today. It certainly is on other people's hearts. God, in response, tells us he gives strength to us. He doesn't forget about us. He strengthens us. He increases our power. And even when the young and the athletic fall, God is there to pick them up. What we're finding here is great hope. What we're finding here is that we can do all things through Christ who is our strength. We can do what seems to be impossible, not because of our strength, but when we rely upon the strength of God. God is our strength. The book of Isaiah is all about putting our trust in God and God alone. I guess you're working on your roof. Who's going to do that for you? Well, some of you, maybe. Maybe not. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Good workers. But who is really going to do it? They may be the vehicle, but who are you going to give thanks to? God. Because God is the one that enables. And it's to God that we give thanks. The people of Israel were going to go through some terrible times. 
like I said, this is probably written for them when they were in captivity, even though I believe Isaiah wrote it before then. Who are they going to put their trust in when they're going through these times of struggles and persecution? Are they going to finally put their trust in God? Are we going to put our trust in God? When we look at the elections and we look at the state of our nation and I, I really tremble with what's going to take place in November. I really do. I have to keep reminding myself is that God is in control. My trust has to be in God because if I put my trust anywhere else, I will be disappointed. God will never disappoint. We need to put our trust in God. Where's your trust at today? Are you trusting God? What are you doing for your salvation? I had a conversation not long ago with a man about salvation, and he told me that he was going to just uh, be able to go to heaven because of all the good that he did. Who's he trusting? Himself. <laughs> Where's he going to end up? Not in heaven. We need to put our trust in God, even for our own salvation. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the day you've given us and just for the opportunity to, to study your word and just to hear the words of Isaiah to the people of the world today. We need to be putting our trust in the Lord our God. Lord, in you alone, you're the one that is able to see us when we are broken, when we are hurting, when we are just looking for someone to pick us up. And you are that God. Lord, I don't know where the people are at in this congregation today with their walk with you. But I pray that they would look to you for their salvation, for their livelihood, for all that you will provide. And Father, to know that you are able, that you alone know us and love us. Father, perhaps there are those that are like me. It's not like seeing what's going on in our world with all the sin that is being adopted and we're being the ones that are being accused only because we choose to love the Lord our God. Father, we're beat. We're beaten down. We are told to be quiet. We are told to, to get in, into, the, into the swing of things. And yet, Father, we are told also that we are to trust in you and you alone. And we know that nothing or no one is greater than you are. We pray that you would, again, prove yourself to the world through us this day. We pray for this church as they seek to do your will. Father, that you would just lift them up and encourage them with your words. For it's in the Lord's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. I think there's another song.